Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 283 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So today we are continuing kind of a big topic that we started last week. And generally, it's how has the COVID-19 pandemic complicated some of the, the parenting challenges that already go along with each age and stage. So we know that, you know, potty training is a challenge and we know kids making friends is a challenge and we know teenagers rebelling is a challenge and all these things we know from the parenting books and blogs that like, this is what we signed up for. Here's how to do it. And then there's COVID. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) it's, (laughs) what did I say last episode? Um, it's a lot. I think I said that probably 12 times, but there is a lot going on at this age and so much of it does revolve around activities, school or homeschool and friends at this age, like at the elementary school age, that to have all of those things upended all at once, it leaves you very rudderless. Like it leaves you kind of without all those structures in place that you have begun to rely on. Like a lot of families, their activities, whether it's theater or dance or sports, kind of at that stage become like the whole family culture Mm -hmm. Um, that becomes who you see, who you hang out with, who you spend time with. So that's one thing that is now just either gone or so different that it's... It's just very, very different. And then getting our kids an education um, <laughs> is important. And now suddenly so much of that has fallen into our laps. We talked last month or last, sorry, last week about the fact that in September, um, an estimated 865,000 in one month, 865,000 women left the workforce. Mm-hmm. And my guess is many, many of them did it because of school, because daycares have been open. Mm-hmm. Um, And a lot of kids have been back at daycare since June, Mm -hmm. May, even in some places, but schools have not. And, and if I had to guess, not that I'm, you know, I'm not a social scientist and I don't know exactly what these numbers equal. I think the, 
I think the stress and emotional labor and just the um, organizational hazards of mm-hmm. trying to manage your kid getting on their different classes all day long or whatever and holding down a job or maybe like your kid is going to school two days a week mm-hmm. and they have to be home the right re- like it's just too much and unfortunately it's going to affect women more broadly than mm-hmm. men um and I, that's not to judge like anybody who's made that decision for themselves i think if if covid has done anything i'm not even gonna say good i'm just gonna say novel mm-hmm. if it's had any effect that is potentially positive it's that it's almost removed the caring about what other people think or what is socially important or I'm sorry, um, culturally like mm-hmm. important expected, to do the yeah. expected to do the right thing for you and your family. Like people are going, I can't like, you know, hands in the air. I can't do this. So I'm not going to like, I'm out. Yeah. And I think that would have been a harder decision to make a year ago when the, the idea was you could still hold it all together mm-hmm. or like that was kind of the narrative. Now we all kind of realize that we're all crying uncle at the same time. Yeah. So in some ways that's like good, but then the the result is very, is devastating like that to the workforce and yeah. to women's ability to earn and um, to stay relevant in, in their careers and all that stuff. So like, there's just so much happening all at once. There is all at once. And yeah, yeah as you mentioned, we're, we're starting with elementary school age kids today. Last week, hopefully you caught last week's episode. We um, kind of went stage by stage with infants and then toddlers and preschoolers. And I would actually encourage everybody to listen to whichever episode maybe doesn't fit your stage of life. I learned, I mean, reading through the infant, toddler and preschooler comments, even though I've done all of those stages three times, or even, you know, maybe I had all three at once at one point. um, It was such a reminder of what that stage of life was life like in normal times. And I was able to, with my empathy, my empathy muscles to be like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine having a toddler during right. these times. So yeah, if you're joining us today and your kids are really tiny, I would love for you to stick around and um, just think about your friends with school-aged kids and teenagers and even young adults and and vice versa. Hopefully our moms of older kids listened last week and, um, just kind of our hearts all went out to the, the new moms and the moms of infants. And I think if there's one thing our show aims to do, it's to always create that space to imagine what another, another mom's life is like right now. Um, with the goal of, um, increasing our empathy for one another. Um, and that's kind of, that's the path through which we can, you know, understand each other better, connect better. And, um, I think, you know, enjoy our own motherhood experience more. So Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. 
And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Okay. So we're back and we're starting with, um, I guess, elementary aged kids. So like five to 11 ish. I have two kids in this age range and Megan, you're freshly out of elementary school with Clara just starting middle school, but you remember you've, you've done it. Well, yeah. And, and it's interesting because Clara has never gotten to experience true middle school to me, she behaves much more like an elementary school kid. Mm. Um, a lot of the things I'm seeing come up on these comments from from listeners, especially with like slightly older elementary school kids, could be about Clara. Yeah, like just um, wanting to meet expectations, wanting you know, like she really at heart is still an elementary school kid. She never had a chance to finish. Yeah, it just ended one day. She just yeah. de- she just never went back and. I think that like the literally the last day of her school of her elementary school experience was on her birthday. That was the last day she ever went to elementary school. And so, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Like she never got to have all those things, like all those milestones and like the passing of the baton and all that truly Mm -hmm. to middle school. And now she's technically a middle schooler without any of the experience of middle school. Yeah, It's been it's really weird. And I think she's having a very hard time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but even, you know, with younger kids, like uh, my heart has been going out to moms of kindergartners oh, me this too. whole time. Um, because first of all, so much of that experience has been taken away. And, and I know one of the commenters said this and maybe I can find it, but saying basically like you look forward to this, like this is yeah. what you look forward to yes. being a school mom. And now all of the things that make that fun are gone and they're just left with like a bunch of work. And that's for people who, who truly, their kids truly aren't going to school at all. And I know for a lot of people, that's not the case. Like yeah. a lot of kids have started back and there are restrictions in place, but they still are in school. But, um, 
student like parent involvement in the school if you thought you were going to be like yeah. the volunteer i'm guessing that's probably not a thing in a lot no of i don't schools. think i don't think on-site volunteers are a thing anywhere you guys can anywhere correct, correct me but uh, that i think will be one of the last things to return yeah um and then like friend groups getting kind of messed up you didn't see these kids over the summer now suddenly you're either back you know, remote or in person, but you haven't played with anybody. And now you're walking around with masks on and you have to sit, you know, six feet apart when you eat your lunch. It just, all the things that made elementary school work have been affected. Yes. And uh, yeah, I've, it's, it's, it's a lot. As it's she a says lot. Over and over. <laughs> I think one thing that really makes this group different from the preschoolers and the toddlers we talked about last week with the exception maybe of the kinders, but with, with first graders on up, they have a memory. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Halloween. Yeah. We talked about kids who can remember last Halloween and what things are supposed to be like. And our elementary school aged kids are, have great vibrant memories of what life was like pre COVID our babies, toddlers and preschoolers barely do maybe an older preschooler, maybe. Um, so that is a different kind of challenge as we, talk about things like after school activities. And like you said, the modifications at the lunch tables and the way drop off and pickup works and everything is different. Even as our schools do reopen, um, it's a lot for kids, especially sensitive kids, kids who struggle with change and transitions. And there are a lot of them out there. I would say it's, it's within the range of typical to have a kid who, who takes a while to get used to new things. And then you basically layer that like, everything that you used to know about your life and your schedule in school is now different. So, um, I don't know. I know we're all very eager for kids to get back in school and, and there are benefits to it. And I've seen some of those benefits, but I don't think we can gloss over, um, the processing energy it takes for a kid to like, just get used to all that newness. Does that make sense? And it's, mm, and, and yeah. that's not the case when the kid doesn't ever remember going to school. Cause it's, it's challenging for a different reason, but not because they have that memory to, to compare to. Yeah. Um, totally, totally agree. And, um, and that expectation and it's just, it's just a morning, it's morning. It's mm -hmm. like a loss. It's a loss for everybody, but I think sometimes it's easy for us to kind of forget that the kids while they are resilient and while they can very well adjust, like they're the ones really having to do the majority of the adjusting to what the actual experience of being in school is like. Um, and that can be really hard. Cassandra says, uh, my fourth grader struggles with being the best and perfect at everything, but Zoom class is hard for her. She can't always follow what the teacher is doing or whose turn it is to talk. And she has a lot of anxiety about being called on and getting the answer wrong. So mm. this totally jumped out at me because Last spring, and I think we can all agree that last spring school was basically just everyone, I don't know, yeah. throwing spaghetti at the wall, yeah. trying to do something. I mean, we all knew it was just total junk. Right. Like we all just kind of, we thought it was so much more temporary than it turned out to be that I think that there was just this idea if we could just get through to the end of the year, we'll all, it'll all get kind of figured out in the fall. Um, and I remember a comment that I made to you, Sarah, but I don't remember if I talked about it on the show was watching Clara, who was in fifth grade at the time and is also very, very much a people pleaser, really wants to appear to be very on top of things mm -hmm. and to appear to be very organized. And she's like one of the her teachers would have always said she's like super compliant. And mm. like <laughs> and that's not always a good word, but like she's the kid who does what's asked, meets expectations like she's just 
on point. And that I think is something that she leans in on. It's mm-hmm. not like she's part of the her identity. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. But like, she's the, the sweet kid and she's the one who does what's asked of her. And she's the one who's pays attention. She's prepared. Right. And so it was kind of a mess for her at the end of last year, um, zoom. And I remember watching her sitting in her zoom meetings and my heart just kind of breaking because she would like go get all ready. And like, she had this rose scented, like face mist that she mm-hmm. uses. I got her one, just like the one you gave me from Trader, oh, yeah, from Joe's. Trader Joe's. Yeah. And yeah. So she would like spray it on and brush her hair. And then she would sit in front of zoom perfectly poised. And it was like, she was a little politician. Like she would just talk perfectly enunciate, but I could tell the panic in her eyes when mm. she didn't know something or like when the teacher would say, um, did you do this thing? And then she would sometimes be like staring at the computer with a smile on her face and texting me under the table. Like, mom, I don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) I was like, and I would say, it's fine. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what she's talking about. Like literally in your class right now of 30 kids, I guarantee you three kids did the work because everyone else is confused, but it was really hard to watch. And I know she's in, in more of like the middle school group, but I'll just share this here. Cause I think again, she's on this weird cusp. Yeah. Um, she yesterday, so she was with me all day and yesterday was student count day. So my kids are virtual, but student count day with that. I don't know if it's like this in every state, but in Michigan, that means kids have to show up to school that day for the school to get funding. Yeah. I remember you explaining this a long time ago and we, it's like every day is student count day in California. Yeah. No, in Michigan it's like twice a year. And on that day they count everybody. And so you have to be in every class to get counted. So it was a really big deal yesterday that each kid log into each class and do something. So that mm-hmm. meant I had se- I had um, 18 teachers and classes to make sure that my kids oh, interacted gosh. with yesterday in one, in one day, which was, you know, super fun. Um, and Clara, I bet you got I don't, so much work done. Oh my goodness. It was the best. And I, you know, Clara some days only logs into one class and then she falls down a rabbit hole and can't figure out what she's supposed to be doing. So I had to keep saying, honey, I know you're working on something. I really hate to take you away from it, but like, you really have to log into these other classes and just do something, even if it's email your teacher or like, um, you know, participate in discussion board or something. So she was trying to figure that all out. And then last night I said, um, did you, there was this one teacher who asked to email, did you email? And she's like, yeah. And I said, can you just forward me the email? So I have it. Cause I just want to make sure uh-huh. she's getting credit for all this stuff. And I don't really trust the virtual platform. Yeah. So she emailed me that she forwarded me her email and it was all her apologizing to her teacher for not being a good student. I mean, I was crying. It was awful. She's like, I'm really, really sorry. Well, and the saddest thing was I said, is Mr. Phelps your teacher? She said, I think so. I think so. She didn't even know. And so then she emails him and it's like, I'm really sorry. I'm trying really hard. I think I'm getting it. I think I'm getting on track. And I'm I'm like, I just want to cry just talking about it because, and I said, honey, do not apologize. Please don't apologize nobody knows what's going on right now. It yeah. is not just you. Yeah. I promise you. And then she, so we we're texting cause she's with John last night and she texted me back. She's like, thank you. I was really stressed and I feel better. And I said, don't oh. just don't stress. I like refuse to allow you to stress Yeah, because it's not fair. It's so unfair to any kid who wants to do well when they're in a system that is not allowing them to do well right now. Like it just, it's nobody's fault. No. Well, I mean, maybe it's sometimes people's fault. I've, I'm not going to point fingers, but I've had some frustrations, but it's not like anyone is some sinister person out there going like, ha 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 ha, ha. Right. I'm going to take down this elementary school kid or the sixth graders hope yeah. <laughs> hopes and dreams, but it's just, that's happening anyway. And I, I'm just validating Cassandra and anybody else who has a perfectionist kid who is yeah. not getting what they need right now, because it's really hard. 
Well, as you're and, talking, uh, in- yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking one of the things that our elementary school kids don't have right now is the ability to look around a classroom. Well, I should say there are many who are starting to be back in person, but the ones learning at home, they, they don't have the ability to look around a classroom and kind of start to use their own um, common sense of like, okay, what's like, what's the vibe in here? Like, um, what do I need to do to be successful? There's a little bit of the yes. good kind of peer pressure that happens in a classroom where, you know, if you're it's like a bell curve, you yes. kind of realize where you're at on the curve and yeah. like how you stay there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's s- not these imaginary, amazing students that you're, you know, competing with. Or exactly. Like yeah. They don't have the ability to kind of um, look at the kids who have their stuff together and try to like emulate that. They don't have the right. ability to see who else is struggling so they can feel like maybe they're not the only one who is struggling. They don't have the benefit of peer to peer comparison. And um, I was noticing a comment from Courtney who said her third grader is wiggly by nature. And I have a very wiggly second grader wiggly by nature. She said it's a revolving door of hacks and rearranging his workspace to try to accommodate for the teacher to be able to see him while keeping safe and somewhat stationary. So this very short comment brings up like so many things (laughs) for me. First of all, as a mom, Courtney is in a position that she would not normally be in, right? Like you're right. not, if your kid is wiggling in third grade, it's not your problem. You're not there. <laughs> you're right. It's not your problem. Unless you get right. a note home or a parent teacher conference to kind of strategize about it. It's not on your radar. And so now we're observing with our kids at home. And I should say, if people haven't been following along closely, if you're confused about what I'm talking about with my kids, my elementary schoolers did about four weeks, four or five weeks, completely virtual. And they've now been back in person like two weeks. So if I sound like I'm talking about both, I have experienced both. Um, but the, the mom's role of being the one to, um, strategize about a wiggly kid is first of all, so different than how our school system is set up. And then also that wiggly kid is not able to, like I said, pick up on the cues from teacher and peers of like, okay, I got it. Like I got to pay attention right now. Or like, oh good. The whole class gets to stand up and we get to walk down the hall because it's music time. Like the wiggles get absorbed into the physical activities of a classroom in ways that wiggles mm. cannot when you're at home. Does that make sense? So yeah, well, we're in the position of being like that, like a like a go between, like yeah. an observer. We're not the teacher. We're, we don't have the ability. Um, assuming we're not homeschooling, truly homeschooling, and we're like kind of this in between liaison person, right? Right. We're more like an like an like a powerless aid, really. Like we're like sitting there watching. And we don't even know what's normal and what to make them stop doing. Like, we don't even know what's disruptive. It's not really our place to make that call. Yet you feel like you should be doing something. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, it's very hard. And, um, it's putting parents in a really awkward position because we're not really in charge of their educations, but yet we're taking the brunt of all of, of like the expectations of managing those expectations and making sure they meet expectations. Yeah. And that's a really hard position for elementary and pre-tune and teen parents to be in. I think it's just like, I just want to be their mom. I don't mm, yes. really necessarily want to have to be this like quasi, um, like, like cafeteria overseer, like, um, yard, du- uh, recess, yard duty. Yeah. I'm yard duty. Yeah. Supervisor. Like yard duty. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, exactly. Well, can we talk a little bit about socializing? Um, I think this is an interesting counterpoint to last week when we talked about, there's a lot of observations from toddler and preschool moms about 
the lack of socialization that those kids are getting. And in those ages, what we're talking about is really practice, practice being in groups of same age peers, practice being out in the world and society, blah, blah, blah. With elementary school kids, we're actually talking about real friendships that have already formed and real social lives that are in progress that maybe went on a complete pause or have then had to like find a new normal. Maybe you're able to do outdoor gatherings with a couple friends and maybe you, maybe your sports teams are back. Um, But I think some of the, uh, one thing that came through in several of the comments is how complicated it now is for things like play dates and like friend, like nurturing friendships in the time where we're not sure what everybody's comfort level is with masks and not masks. Um, I'll just say that I am living in an area that's new to us. I've been really very pleasantly surprised at the little friendships that are already starting to form with my kids. We've met some neighbors. We've been able to do it all outdoors and what i deem is COVID safe for me, which mostly just means outdoors and almost always six feet of distance and masks if we can't be blah, blah, blah. Um, but I have to admit, I, I get nervous thinking about what's the next step. Like, okay, so now Violet has a new friend. That's not the neighbor where I've met the parents. And it's like a mom, I don't know. And I reached out by email and that was great. But then like, do they do outdoor play dates only? I don't know. Like it's just, um, the elementary school years are meant to be a time where kids are starting to take a little bit more control over their friendships, maybe even making their own plans or at least coming up with the plans and the parents act as support. And now we just add these complicated expectations about safety that can get very awkward. It's awkward enough Mm. being the parent of um, a kid who's developed a new friendship. It's already kind of awkward that you've got to like get to know this new mom and your friends, friends with their kid. And now it's like quadruple awkward. Yeah. And that is definitely a theme at that age. And and it makes me like understand why some people are just be like, you know what? We're just going to have like one family we hang out with and we're not going to worry about any of it. Like, right. You know, like we're just going to open up our bubble and say whatever goes inside this bubble, because the policing five-year-olds who only want to do is put their hands on each other uh, or all they want to do is like on a rainy day, go inside and like have one of them show each other their toys or whatever. And to constant, to have that never be on the radar or to never like for another year for that yeah. to not be a possibility is it's difficult to think about. So, you know, this isn't to like, I, we know that people are all over the country in places with different communities spread, different ability to access outdoor play year round, mm-hmm. um, different levels of community. Let's shall I say participation mm-hmm. in the rules yep. or even a different understanding about what the rules even are different rules in some places. So it gets very complicated when everyone's kind of like trying to draw their own conclusions based on what they think is their interpretation of um, what they should be doing. And then it just, it leads to like a lot of, like you said, awkwardness, judgment, guilt, um, feeling like you're the mean mom or you're the only one upholding certain rules or feeling like you're maybe the mom who's more lax, you think you're doing it for the right reasons. There's just, it's all over the place. And it's, it, it puts us in a socially very awkward situation that we haven't ever had to quite be in before. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you are out there again, feeling like you're the only one with these play date or social dynamic struggles, you are not. And like you said, Megan, it doesn't really matter what part of the country you're in or what your personal like COVID bubble looks like it's, it's new territory for everybody. 
It is. And we're not all necessarily talking about it publicly, but we're all going through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just really important to keep in mind. Like no one, I think we said this in the last episode, the last, the first um, part of this episode that no one's an expert Mm -hmm. (laughs) on coronavirus parenting. Yeah. That's literally not a thing that anyone could be an expert in. So I promise you, everyone's as as confused as you are, no matter what. Mm -hmm. I want to give a shout out to teachers who are also parents of school-aged kids right now, because I feel like that is a special, especially elementary Mm school-aged kids. That is like a special, I don't even know what to call it, Um, especially if your child, well, I could see this playing out of several ways. A lot of schools have staggered. in-person days. So your child, you might be a teacher who's teaching full-time, but your kid might only be in person in class, right? you know, once or twice a week, which if that's you, I don't even know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry. Like, how are you making that work? I'm assuming daycare is probably picking up some of the slack, but I just can't imagine how exhausting that is. But then you've got the other kind, which is teachers who are teaching virtually, possibly from home, but who have kids who are learning Mm -hmm. virtually at the same time. And I got to say, even as a mom of older kids, I field a lot of requests during the day. Like I am constantly getting interrupted by a kid going, I don't get this. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't remember how to log into this. Mm -hmm. Mom, it wants me to save it as a file. What does that mean? You know, like I have a funny text that Clara sent me last week because I said, (laughs) do you, I yelled from another room, something like, do you know how to copy and paste? And then she texted me, Yes, I know how to copy and paste. Like I was an idiot. I was like, well, I was just asking a question. I couldn't get up at the moment to come talk to you. So anyways, I'm just thinking like how hard it would be to be a classroom teacher teaching small children all day long and to have your own small child Mm -hmm. learning virtually all day long, possibly in the same space. And you also being the one having to kind of facilitate. Mm -hmm. It sounds insane to me. Really hard. Um, which leads me to this to this uh, comment from Ashley. Ashley is a single mom to a second grader. She says, we've been playing it safe and not going to fun places that he loves. And Ashley's a teacher, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is secondary to that. She says he understands it's because of COVID and he gets so angry. I'm forced to turn to Pinterest to come up with fun things to do at home. It's exhausting be- because I'm a teacher and that is super hard. So she's already doing that stuff for her students mm-hmm. all day long. And now she's also trying to do it for her son, who is understandably very angry that life is not going the way he wants it to. She says he missed going to the fun places and the anger is the hardest part. I've spent a crazy amount of money on Amazon to keep this child happy. (laughs) He's gotten so many presents because I can't deal with the anger. So I'm throwing money toward his anger problem. I know it's it's not the right thing, but I'm just so tired after teaching at school and dealing with virtual kids, which also is not not like an eight to five job. Those kids, I'm sure, are emailing all night long. And, you know, so I don't, I just want to validate Ashley and also say that like that anger and the the issues kids are going through are also real. And it's like, Mm -hmm. we're all going through our own issues at the same time Mm -hmm. and they don't always work together that well, I suppose. And I'm sure she is not the only one um, looking to almighty Amazon to throw Mm -hmm. some money at a, at a struggle. Yeah. Um, another thing that came up a lot with the, the elementary schoolers, but then also the middle and the, or excuse me, the tweens and teens we're going to talk about after the break is screen time. Um, and this is interesting. Oh, yeah. I'd be interested in how moms of older kids, how things have changed since like spring and summer versus back to school. I know in my family, like 
incredible rules relaxing for pure survival in the spring and summer. And then I do feel like we got a little bit more of a handle on excess screens as we came back to school, just because they actually had something scheduled in their day. But the thing is, when school is also on a screen, you sometimes get some of the same negative side effects of too much screen time, even though the kids don't think they're having fun. So they they feel like they haven't been given their daily allotment of video games, and yet they have had way too much eyeballs on the blue light and, you know, not no physical activity being in a chair. So it's almost like it's like piled on because um, what feels like a break or a reward or a treat for them that maybe was a part of your routine in spring and summer, it for sure was for us. Like my kids had daily video gaming time built in, which was never the case in our house. But then you take it away and they don't feel like they're getting their enjoyable screens and yet they're still on a screen all day. So that's something I think that a lot of people are dealing with. And um, I know we're going to talk about more with the teenagers, but when they don't have a lot else going on, it feels kind of rotten to take away. Like maybe they get on Roblox and play video games with their friends and that's the one social time that they get. So screen time is a real tricky, it's a tricky thing right now. It's not cut and dried. It's no longer like the AAP recommends two hours or less a day. Right. Like, like all thanks that, a lot has, of AAP, like but that was not created <laughs> for pandemic yeah. parenting. So um, maybe we'll just kind of leave that here as something we know um, that school age parents are going through, but I know it's going to come back up um, after the break when we talk about our tweens and teens. So Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keeps pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician recommended schedule. 
We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Sarah, I'm really glad you brought up screen time at the end of the last um, segment because... Honestly, this all plays into talking about teens and tweens and how they're experiencing the pandemic and how parents are experiencing the pandemic, parenting them. Mm -hmm. Um, They all kind of, it goes together. Screen time, socializing, independence, Mm -hmm. introversion, and social issues, Mm -hmm. um, which I like to put under the header of kids are getting weird. Yeah. (laughs) And like all of it kind of goes together in the tweens and teens in a way that is unique to that stage, I think. So Mm -hmm. it's like the screens are their socializing. It's also their way of being independent. Mm -hmm. It's also something you can take away if they're not acting correctly, right? It's also something that you try to limit so that kids don't get weird. It's also something they usually do outside of school, not as school. So it's kind of like the screen has become this looming Thing in the background. And I feel it in my house big time. I used to look forward to like them being at school all day because I knew I didn't have to worry about the six or seven hours they were at school. Those were hours. I didn't have to worry about them being on screens. And yeah. now those hours they're on screens the yeah. entire time. Yeah. So it's like, it's really flipped the switch. On the other hand, I feel rotten taking away or limiting something. That's one of the only things that they can do. And then add in introverted kids. Like I've got, um, in my teens, I've got one introvert and one extrovert. The extrovert's doing okay. He got a job. He still sees friends. Like he, you know, he gets online and stuff, but it's not a big deal. My introvert is getting weird. He's getting pale. <laughs> and like, he's really digging in. And a lot of his friendships have kind of gone by the wayside because it's easier for him to jump on the games that he plays with his cousins, mm-hmm. which, you know, so he's still socializing. And I'm putting that in big air quotes. But that's all he's got. I'm not going to take it away from him. Yeah. At the same time, I don't like that that's where he's getting most of his life and mm-hmm. and most of his socializing. And and the other thing about that is that um it all kind of plays in with independence. Like this should be the age when kids are starting to break away from their parents, yes. but right now they're spending all of their time in virtual situations around their parents or even when they're not if they are going to school in person. Parents are now having to like lock down on things that they didn't used to have to deal mm-hmm. with, like that they used to just be able to hand over to their 13 or 14 or 15 year olds. So that's just a very long segue into this, into this, I guess, age group because it's very complicated. Well, I think you said something there that if you, uh, for moms of just little itty bitty kids and toddlers, you may not have thought about this, but someday this will be you. And the literally the driving need for an early teen or a late tween, like your 12, 13, 14 year old, the driving need is to start to break away from, you know, siblings and cousins being their best friends and mom and dad being like the center of the universe. And um, it is very odd. It's very strange. It's not, we're not do it's nobody's where they're meant to be right now. That's what Dr. Aaron said when I interviewed her, she said, nobody's doing the thing they are supposed to be doing right now. And she didn't mean from an obligation standpoint, she meant developmentally, like clinically psychology wise, 
um, the tweens are not doing the breaking away that they're wired to do. And right. that is a big deal. Um, so Natalie said that things are better now that they're back in school in person. But in the spring, I was way too involved with their day to day tasks. And like this is just again, it's a time when you wouldn't normally be seeing your 12 year old all day long. Um, you wouldn't be able to fix them snacks at every right. zoom, zoom break every 50 minutes. Um, she says, I'm a mom, not their teacher. And there were a lot of power struggles over, I assume, like things kids could do themselves, but kind of aren't because they're regressing a little bit. And then Courtney says, my preteen girl is hurting for social interaction. Virtual school helps, but it's not the same at all. And we don't have anyone nearby to do a hangout. And it's a need I haven't been able to fill. And I think that's like, that's the big differentiator here is like, they're meant to be out in the world. Like when I was 12. Yeah. I was going to the mall for multi hours at a time and just arranging a pickup spot or calling my mom from a payphone. And I wasn't particularly extra independent. I was pretty average. My parents weren't super protective, but I was also not like I wasn't asking for free, a, free for range. A ton. I wasn't like asking for a ton more independence than I was really ready for. But I mean, my 12 year old has not gone unsupervised with another kid to like a place where where then we'd go pick them up. You know what I mean? And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know in the future when she will, to be honest. Like yeah. that's, that is, that's big. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, but it's, it's very different than the normal order of things. Yeah, I agree. And it's, I'm thinking of the, the also the responsibility, like um, preteen and teen is when you start to do things like really crack down on not dropping off their stuff that they left at home or not, mm-hmm. I don't know, not bailing them out yeah. all the time. And now if you are working from home, you are around and able to bail them out. If you're at work, my guess is that in a situation where a kid is in a virtual school situation and mom's at work and maybe their teacher is through a computer, if they have a question, they're going to go to their mom first. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just thinking in the, in mm-hmm. the grand triage <laughs> yeah. of who's in charge they're probably going to go to their parents before they're going to go to their teachers. If all things being equal, they're at home, mom is at work and teachers at school or wherever the teacher is at their house. So like you end up fielding so many things that shouldn't be yours to field. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing is just managing, you know, we touched on this, the social stuff in, in the other, in the younger kid age, um, the elementary school section, but um, we have this message from Shannon who said, uh, I have a freshman in high school who's 14 and triplet sixth graders I know, I who are this. 11. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. She says the freshman's really entering the social stage and constantly wants to be out with friends, going to football games, et cetera. All of this is great and perfectly appropriate. I mean, I love that we even have to like qualify that yeah. that's great and perfectly appropriate because it's like we've forgotten yeah. that that's what kids are supposed to be doing. This, she says, COVID has made us pre-contact tracers yeah. who will be there. Have you been with them in class and already had contact with them? Have their parents gone back to work? Is the space big enough to distance? Like all of these questions, yeah. like what's normal for kids to do has become so different or what's acceptable that we're, it's like the calculus that we mentioned, yes. the, the calculus we have to do to decide. And then in the end, we still know we're making an, Im, um, an imperfect decision based right. on right. like incomplete information. So, you know, she says sometimes we come down the side of safety and sometimes they come down the side of mental health. Like uh-huh. you, you are, incon- you feel inconsistent. You second guess yourself. Uh, it just, it, it's a mess. And that's a really hard thing. Also knowing that by the age of 14, 15 or 16, kids can just lie if they want mm-hmm. 
and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah. Besides keep them locked up in their bedrooms. <laughs> you know, um, you have to trust, even yeah. though you maybe they've not demonstrated that you can trust them. You kind of have to because they're getting older. And what are you going to do? And I think what's so different now, I was I was following um, some parents of teens pretty closely on social media. I know we follow some of the same people early in the pandemic, and they were writing about what's different now is I think most parents of teens would be aligned on like no keggers for the freshman right. in high school set. You know what I mean? Like there's some you assumed, hope that you right, would hope right. like there's some assumed rules that a majority of parents probably could could agree on, even if they don't know each other as parents. But when you have communities where um, certain masking or social distancing, quote unquote, rules or norms are not adopted at the same level, then then you're right back. Like you have you have, there's no common ground. Like there's no um, it's not is my kid following the rules or lying to me? It's also like, are the rules the same in other spheres as they are in our house? And that's a lot to ask of young teenagers and parents of young teenagers. Um, I love this comment from Jennifer. She has five kids, four of whom are teenagers. So that's kind of like you actually, well, yeah. you, you a couple of years ago. Um, right. and she said, I depend on carpooling a lot for their activities. They each have one activity they still participate in, and it's hard to get everyone where they need to be in home for dinner and dinner prep time. Last night I drove another child home from practice and we all wore masks, but that's such an awkward thing. And I feel uncomfortable asking other parents to do that. So I just drive my kids. And I mentioned a little bit ago that Reed asked if he could do a sport. And my first thought was like, no, because I am the no. sole driver. And right. I, I love carpools like you don't understand. Like I love anything that makes mom not have to drive someplace, rides for kids, extra pile and extra kid in your car. Like I loved that part of being a school age mom, like pick my kid up from school or like keep my kid. It was such a satisfying way to be able to help out other parents and then to have a support network to ask for help. And I agree. That's a, that's a loss that we might be feeling for a while, but I just, it, it stuck out at me because our, our new little neighbor friends, um, Violet and the little girl are in the same cohort at school. So they are actually already in a pod together at school and they're masked all the time. And they asked us if we could give her a ride home. And I was like, so happy to be asked because first of all, they're together all day anyway. They'll just keep their masks right. on in the car. We'll roll the windows down, whatever. Like, I don't, I mean, safety wise, I have no issue, but I'm, I was just so happy that someone felt like they could ask and that then I can ask that person again. And it's going to take us a while to get back to that. And, and rides and carpools are like, they're a big part of big kid life. When you have multiple kids, they who, are who can't drive themselves. It's like a huge part of your life. It is. And you think about that, like if you are driving your kids to, uh, you know, maybe you have two kids who are in activities and they're 15 minutes away. That's an hour a day that you would be just in the car, yeah. just driving around on top of all the school pickups and drop offs you already do. And maybe a commute and all the other things, grocery store, everything else. It's like that does that does affect your ability to say yes to certain things and um, your ability to work it in, especially if you've got multiple kids with different you know, with conflicting activities yeah. and things like that. Um, the driving thing is interesting. And that's one of those things that I think that a lot of parents use as a carrot or a stick mm -hmm. when they have teenage kids. Um, uh, another Stephanie says, my, steps, my stepson is 17 and doesn't have a driver's license or car. And this kind of ties into my whole thing about consequences. She says, so when we used to be able to say X, Y, Z must happen before you can go do blank right. because right. they would drive them. <laughs> 
him. She says, now he's not going anywhere. So there's no incentive to get things done. I have experienced that now big time, particularly with my 14 year old who doesn't care if he ever leaves the house again, apparently. Like, what do I use as a consequence when there is nothing to take away? Nothing to dang, no carrots to dangle. There's no stick and there's no carrot. It's, it's like, it takes away so many of your tools, Mm. especially when you feel kind of guilty to begin with, because their lives have been so impacted that you're just like, whatever, we'll just do whatever you want. And don't be mean to me. And we'll get through this. Like, I feel like I've made so many, um, I don't know, not even like allowances isn't the right word, but I've made allowances for behavior. I wouldn't have Mm -hmm. a year ago Mm -hmm. because I just don't feel like I have a lot of leg to stand on when it comes to any kind of consequence I might impose. Plus, I don't really want to. Right. Like, I don't want my kid mad at yeah. me and I don't want them to be miserable. So yeah. I just kind of let things go. And that's working OK for now. But that can't go on forever. Yeah. <sighs> no, I yeah, I. Uh, yes, I am agreeing. Yeah. I have nothing to say. I was going to add one more little theme that I saw emerged and maybe not even in these comments, but I've heard other parents of older kids talk about it. And that is that the forced time in the house altogether has not necessarily yes. led to actual family bonding and connection. Maybe in some cases it did. Maybe early yeah. on it did. There's a couple. There were a few like, mm-hmm. yeah. But like um, there's this feeling of disconnect, even though you're in the same um, building as your nuclear family for many hours. Maybe you are. Maybe you're working outside the home and the kids are in school now. But for sure, we've all experienced way more time at home than we ever have before. And just that it doesn't always equal um, that emotional connection. I know that I am like constantly trying to get 20 minutes of work done. And it's, um, I think my kids notice it. It's like, I'm here all day long and I will fix a snack and I will throw in a load of laundry and I will, you know, have a quick conversation. But my, my, I, I'm sending off those like nonverbal signals that like, I really just need to get back to my computer to get 20 more minutes in until the next thing happens. And that's not, that's not presence. That's not like connection to my kids. So, um, yeah, that's a thing. Okay. So we actually had a few comments that kind of spoke exactly to what you're talking about. Um, one in particular was Lisa, who's got boy, girl twins turning 13 next month. And she just kind of says, you know, family time is generally forced (laughs) because the kids can never like the same thing on the same day. I know they don't want to spend a lot of time with us. And that's, I think probably because they're already spending too dang much time, right? right? Like they're, they're already spending so much time with their families, with their siblings. And, you know, now it's, it's like, if you want to have actual family time, that is like something everyone chooses Mm -hmm. that becomes a feeling a little forced and a little more full of conflict. Um, Lauren says my 12 year old has always loved spending time with his siblings. A three-year-old brother and two-year-old sister has always had a very mature relationship with them, almost parental in nature. But it must be true that absence makes the heart grow fonder because suddenly he's bickering with them in the same way you'd expect of siblings much closer in age. I'm just picturing this. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to break up a fight between a tween and a toddler? (laughs) It's like, I'm just picturing a 12 year old and like a three and a, like a two year old lisping angry words at them. And it's just, I mean, it's so sad. And then Heather says, uh, pre COVID, I kept some screen time rules and one was no screams in bedroom ever works great. And I actually used to have the same rule. <laughs> um, now I've lost control screens in bedrooms, screens all day for school and all night to veg. She says, I see in quotes, my kids much more, but actually feel less connected. And yeah. I think that's really what we're yeah. the heart of what we're getting at here. Um, 
and it's hard. And, you know, I, 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 this is, I, I feel, and every stage is very hard in their own way. It's like the toddlers and preschoolers, what we're hearing, like infants, toddlers, and preschoolers, we're hearing so much exhaustion and yes. like physical tiredness. Elementary, it's like that um, social tiredness. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know what our role is and we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And it's all, it's like very mentally draining. And then teens and tweens, it's already emotionally hard mm-hmm. at that age. And it's, this is just creating a lot of question marks around what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. That make it really, and just make it really tough. All right. Well, we made our way through the, through the teenagers, but Megan, you actually have uh 21 and 23 almost right this fall. Yeah. So you are parenting young adults, one who is living under your roof and one who is not right now. Uh, I'm sure this feels so far away from many of our listeners, but you're still their mom. You're still a, a yeah. parent or a COVID parent um, in the year 2020 to young adults. So any thoughts on that before we wrap? Well, I think it's kind of like an exaggerated version of what it's like to parent a 16 or 17 or 18 year old. It's like they're still technically like I still pay their phone bills. <laughs> so technically they're still under my guidance to some degree. Right. But my, my control is less and less and less. And, um, I know we do have listeners whose kids are going off to college for the first time. And, and we've heard how, how hard that's been because like they, they don't have that same connection with home that mm-hmm. they may have once had, or the ability to visit. I can tell you for my 21 year old, who's living in another city, he comes back pretty often. And I'm really glad right now. I'm actually really glad he's an introvert because I'm not very worried about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think he really is just working and studying. I don't really think he's partying or hanging out with people very much, but it is odd for him to be gone four or five days a week. And you have no idea what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of shows up on the weekend and I'm not going to, I'm not going to put him through like the ringer about yeah. his interactions before he can see his younger siblings. Yeah. But at the same time, I do ask a lot of leading and prodding questions, which I'm sure are annoying to him. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think that's another difficult stage where all the things that should, all the ways it should be, like I should feel like I can go drop in on him any old time and take him to lunch. Or I should feel like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like he can come back and forth with impunity and it doesn't matter what he's doing during, doing during the week that I'm always a safe place. Or like someone who's in college dorms right now should feel like their parents can visit. And right now that's just not how it is. Yeah for most people. And it just, it's kind of like teenager times. It just going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. It's like the next step, obviously, after being yeah. a teen where you, you lose control over what they're doing. You don't want to pile on how hard things are, but you're dealing with that loss of control. Yeah. And, um, that kind of, that, that theme ties definitely into both young adult and teenagers, yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess we have solved nothing, but hopefully, nothing. Absolutely hopefully nothing. <laughs> validated um, where we are in this fall of 2020. So thanks to everybody who kind of shared your pain points or your struggles um, with pandemic parenting this fall. I'm just laughing, thinking about someone listening to this episode like two years from now, like a really Going long like time what? from now. <laughs> and obviously, like, you know, we've had much of our podcast content has been timely and COVID related, but. Uh, this will be literally like a time capsule last week and this week, I feel like are a time capsule of everyday parent struggles, not the most extreme, but just like the, the day in the life of COVID parenting kind of stage by stage. So I think it actually kind of would be fascinating to, to revisit this, like in a time, a time long from now. 
Well, can you imagine if we could go back in time right now yeah. to like a year ago and listen to be like, what are you talking about? I know, right? <laughs> like what oh. is about to befall us? Oh, I know. My. oh my gosh. Well, we should remind everyone about our um, retreat coming up because yes. like we said last episode, if there was ever a time that we could all use just a little check out, a little check into ourselves, some, some of that real self-care that can be so lacking right mm-hmm. now, it's now, we need it. Um, yes. And so- We are hoping to give moms that opportunity, that reason to get it on their calendar with our virtual retreat coming up on November 7th. Yes, I am staying at a local hotel near me. You have picked a VRBO near you. So we will ourselves be taking a break from our families and then we'll be checking in with some content that's provided a little bit of live content, some pre-recorded content, and all of which you can kind of consume and digest at whatever pace feels right for you. So we're not going to like make you show up to something on zoom that you don't want to, or that doesn't fit with your timeline. Nobody has to do anything they don't want to right now, especially on zoom. That's yes, my rule. Exactly. Yeah. That is the, that's the tagline of this retreat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So we'll link in the show notes to that where it's the momhour.com slash virtual retreat. And we will be back with you soon with another brand new episode. And we will talk to you then. The mom hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.